Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy this show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating, give us a five-star rating and give us a positive review. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And this is my brother, Chris, an Anglican priest. Chris, how you doing? How am I doing? How you doing? Kirk, I'm great. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty great, too. I'm pretty great. We, uh, it's a winter wonderland, baby. We had our, we had our foot of snow, and, uh, and I'm great. And uh, you did not get your promised snow, did you? It was kind of uh, yeah, last Friday... So um, we know somebody who works for the National Weather Service. Uh, Ooh, we know that in you have an we have in, with in the and he talks about this being the corridor of bore, <laughs> as in we get boring weather here. Um, that that all the things seem to miss us, and uh, this particular storm that dumped, gosh, hour and a half away, dumped like eight inches, ten inches. Um, was supposed to be in the five to six inch range, ended up dropping about two inches that like it just nudged a little bit north and east as per usual and uh, and missed us. So that was a big disappointment. We were we were on Friday anticipating just because Meg had taken the day off for us to go skiing. And it was a great day of skiing, but we were anticipating skiing in, you know, six inches of powder rather than two. But yeah. anyway, it's we still got to ski on Friday. We had a you know a long weekend. Uh, Monday we had uh, uh, conferences, parent teacher conferences, which, uh, it's, it's funny. Um, you can just tell that Isaac's teacher just loves, loves him. <laughs> it's, it's, she's just like, what a character that kid is. And uh, it's interesting because like true. our older, our older kid was always like the one who was, we thought was the character. And Isaac was, uh, he, he's just come into his own. He's quite a character. He's creative and funny. And it's Kirk, do you like, uh, going to conferences? Um, I, I do, I do. Uh, I wait from a parent side or the teacher side parent side. I mean, cause you have to do so many, but, and I'm sure that like, I always enjoyed doing conferences. It was, it was, it was a bit tiring, but yeah. uh, I enjoyed like, where did this come from? And sometimes the apple did not fall far from the tree in both good and bad ways. Well, I feel like, so it's, it's, I have a better perspective as the parent coming in because I'm a teacher and because I'm on both sides of the table. Sure. Um, so isn't I mean, it interesting the parents that like don't understand that everything their kids tell them isn't 100 right, percent right, like right, right, right like they don't they they just believe yeah like the kid will and it's and part of it's that they're kind of telling partial truths yeah. or maybe 
half truths or yeah. or flat out lies, or maybe they're telling one perspective that's biased. Yeah. And uh, it's just fascinating to me that parents there's parents out there that just whatever their kids tell them they they're not going to take that with any grains of salt. Oh, I mean this this is this is the the pointless and endless faculty room lament. Um, uh, if if there's one thing we could kind of wish that parents knew. Um, your child lies to you and it's okay. It's not because he's evil. It's because he's 13, <laughs> right? Like everything. Yeah, we're okay. not justifying it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not that it's okay for him to do that. It's right. just like, like, understand that your kid's doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. Pre- yeah um, the, the school, according to your child's telling is not, is not reality <laughs> and it's okay. Your child's not evil, but like you need a fuller picture. So like, it, I, 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 am I the, am I a person Am, am I naive? Like, do most parents just believe everything their kids say? Oh my gosh! Or do you have to be a teacher to really uh, appreciate? Talk, I don't know if you want to talk about this. Um, I think there's a battle of the sexes going on as well. So, because a lot of times, um, it's a mom who shows up to the conference. In some, in many sad situations, it's because mom is the only one who's really involved. Sure. Um, but oftentimes, yeah. like mom's the one who has the flexibility or the ability, the way families build their lives and their schedules and stuff. So mom shows up and like mama bear is a real thing. Like mom is, oh my gosh, can I say this? She's going to, she's going to go mom to bat for less her inclined kids. to see. Uh, mom is more inclined to go into protective mode, mode and less inclined to see the big picture. Like my child's a nu- teenage knucklehead and it's going to be okay in the long run, but we need to set these parameters and like have a hermeneutic of suspicion at home. And, like mothers kind of aren't capable of that. And so I, th- we should not be having this conversation, right? Okay. Now Let's move on to this Kirk. <laughs> it's um, is it ironic that your Martin Luther King day um, ski trip was snowed out? Is it, is ironic the right word? We, that, are um, we being oh, judged for divinely judged for a, a um, no, 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 no. For, 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 for taking what it should be a solemn commemoration. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying um, the fact that like, it would have been great skiing. You just couldn't get to the hill. That's right. That's right. Yep. So you had uh, to postpone that. i looking carefully at the number of runs and uh, they keep expanding. It's, it's just on Monday, there's going to be more to ski on than there would have been this last month. So, so um, you, it was just postponed one week. Mm-hmm. We're going to and Monday. this is a ski club at, at uh, the school you teach at or the school your kids attend? This, uh, where I teach. Where you teach. So um, you're, you're pulling your kids out of school. I'm and my kids out of school. And yep. uh, you get a day off. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's kind of great. This, this is parent-teacher conferences. So I'm going to be gone. Um, I'm not going to be attending the um, as, as the teacher, you like the, the, the students that we're pulling in for conferences. I'm not, I'm not going to be attending that day. Interesting. Yeah. 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 You, you know, the, um, what, what I endure for the sake of the ski club. That's really quite, quite yes. Burden. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but a burden you must bear. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, and I don't think it's all going to melt. I think we're, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be in, in great shape. So certainly on the, on the Hill, but, um, how about outside your house? Is that going to melt? by monday no no we're good fantastic it's good news it's It's all good news good news to the rich good news to the poor good news to the captive to the good news for everyone good news for everyone say do we uh we do we hear about good news for everyone in the this week's gospel reading 
indeed we do. This week's gospel reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kirk, this is a really interesting little snippet of scripture. Uh, It's interesting that the heading in the ESV is Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Uh, and yet we don't get, we are, this reading is cut off before we get to his rejection. Right. Right. Yeah. It's quite the bleeding chunk. Like I I wouldn't, I mean, to be fair to the authors of the prayer book and the lectionary, I wouldn't know how to slice up Luke four. It it kind of has its own integrity, the entire chapter. Yeah. Yeah. And we are here in this season of epiphany. And I've heard some people talk about, uh, the three epiphanies. So even though we have transfiguration always in the last Sunday as certainly an epiphany of who Christ is, but um, many people speak of three epiphanies. And those are the first three gospel readings. Um, uh, the first on epiphany day of, of the, uh, the, the revealing or the manifestation of, of Jesus to the wise men, to the nations, um, the manifestation, manifestation of Jesus as the son of God uh, in whom uh, the father is well-pleased and part of this triune, uh, God in the baptism of Christ. And the third was Jesus revealed to his disciples at the, at the miracle at the wedding at Cana. And, and yet uh, in this uh, season of epiphany, we look now after these three epiphanies to Luke chapter four, where Jesus uh, this it's, so it says Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. So as each gospel author writes with their own perspective, we need to acknowledge here that none of the gospel authors are pretending to be giving a comprehensive biography of Jesus. And so each of the gospel authors has a particular interest. They cover particular periods of the life of Jesus a little bit more than others. And in this particular case, uh, it's it's about a year between the baptism of Christ and uh, this occurrence, 
where in verse 14, it says Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. Uh, it talks about how he had been teaching in synagogues, been glorified by all. It's about a, that's, that's summarized about a one-year period. And uh, so we see this would have been about a year after the miracle at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Um, so John covers some of these occurrences a little bit more in detail um, than, than Luke does, where, where Luke glosses over an entire year there. And just to think back to, it's just important, Kirk, to establish the context here, as, as, we, as you refer to this as a bleeding chunk. So um, another piece of the context is synagogue worship, uh, that uh, synagogue worship was something that popped up in the period where Jews did not have a temple. Uh, this this kind of popped up in, while they were um, in Babylon in captivity. They they needed a way to worship, to gather together. I mean, that's kind of what the word means, you know, to gather together. Uh, uh, synagogue means to gather together uh, as one. They need to be able to worship apart from the temple, apart from the actual building of the temple, and and in a land far from the temple, which which uh, had yet to be rebuilt. And this this synagogue system kind of continued in Jesus' day. So they would make the trek for kind of great feasts to the temple, but uh, kind of week-to-week worship would be in communities at synagogues. And uh, Kirk, you, uh, I was going to say you would be pleased to know, but you know this, uh, that this whole 20, or probably 19th, 20th, and 21st century idea of non-liturgical worship, uh, that's a very new thing. Synagogue worship as first century worship, second century, um, had quite a liturgy. Uh, the, the, the liturgy of synagogue worship uh, began with the, the recitation of the Shema. No surprise to anybody. It included um, the prayers. So uh, Kirk in Acts 2, uh, Acts 2, 42, right? Where it says, and they dedicated themselves to um, the apostles teaching, the breaking of the bread the prayer, the fellowship and the, the prayers. Right. It doesn't say, pra- it doesn't say prayers. There's, there's like a, a, a definite article. That wasn't there, right? a vague umbrella category. Like they got together and like prayed for each other. Right. It refers to a, the prayers, a, a recognizable act that every reader would have known. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry to botch Acts 242. I guess like, it's been a long time since I've thought about that verse. Uh, and then that, that, that would, uh, and remember that, the, the Jewish Bible that at that time had several components. There's the Torah, first five books. Um, oh gosh, I'm going to botch this too, Kirk. <laughs> the, There's the, 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 the prophets and the writings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so first there'd be a reading from the Torah. Um, and then, you know, a, a rabbi would offer some commentary uh, or, or a member of the congregation might be selected for that. Um, I'm sorry. No, the reading did not have commentary. The reading from the prophets would have commentary. And then there would be a benediction. And then there's a second reading um, selected uh, for that Sabbath by the ruler of the local synagogue. So uh, Jesus, as you could see, takes the time to unroll this entire scroll. And he (laughs) finds the place that he's looking for because he has a very specific thing that he wants to say. And Kirk, I, I did not have time this week to really do a lot of research into. There are some people that talk about this as a mic drop moment. Right. Um, where, where Jesus um, reads the prophecy about, about this 
good news for the poor about this reversal, this great reversal of, you know, as, as Mary talked about the mighty being cast down and the humble being exalted. And then, you know, some people talk about it being like, Jesus, like this, this has come true today. And then he drops the mic. Uh, that may be the case, but it also may be the case. Like, what does it say? It says Jesus began to teach, right? And so that may be uh, Luke's summary of, of what it was that he said. I'm not sure. And, and we can't, I, I don't know that we can know um, for sure. It says he began to say to them today in this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then we stop. Uh, it says, um, if, if we were to continue to, to add some context here, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now we'll get and this then, next week, right? The subsequent verses. Uh, well, let could me look be, that Kirk. up while you read this. Let me look that up while you read this. To I can look it up quicker sure than you. It'll take sure me one second. True. Pretty yep. sure that it's yep. true. Next week we get the rejection. Yeah. And, and so, so next week uh, they're like, wait. So it says, it's, it's an interesting, the way that Luke phrases it, where it's like all spoke well of him and marveled the gracious words. But then it says, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? And then there's this back and forth physician, heal thyself. Um, and then Jesus is like, yeah, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. So, I mean, this, we'll, we'll talk about this next week. Um, but I just wanted this week to, for uh, this to be um, adequately given, given context. Uh, certainly, uh, because Jesus had been in ministry for an entire year, he would have been famous. And this probably would have been a fairly pregnant pause. Like, people would have been leaning forward in anticipation for what he was teaching. Uh, the stuff that I've been reading this week about this text, though, Kirk, um, this is likely referring to the Jubilee, you know, this, this stuff right. in, in Isaiah, this year of the Lord's okay. favor, um, something that we have no evidence that the Jubilee was ever observed. Interesting. And in fact, um, so some of the scholars uh, that have been reading talked about, like, it may have been kind of the, the idea of a Jubilee s- seemed kind of quaint and 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 kind of silly right um like economically unfeasible archaic practice yeah um and was now only known maybe in just like like this was a thing that like it's just it's just impossible to actually do and practice but it's a good you know maybe we ought to think of it that way i don't know kirk we we think of the of the restoration of the law in in josiah Mm -hmm. um as this like kind of inflection point, right? But the, the reality is that um, Israel always struggled to follow yeah. the law. And yeah, they discovered and were convicted, but it's not like they followed perfectly from, yeah. from then on. Well, the, the, I mean, yes, that's an inflection point. The other inflection point that I think gets, I don't want to pull you off, but like um, in Ezra, when Ezra actually sends away yeah. the wives and children, the foreign wives, so, I mean, that's a real inflection point. So like, I mean, that, that was a reinstitution of Torah, but yeah, that, that has nothing to do with this, but go ahead. And so um, what, what Jesus is saying is not like this acceptable day of the Lord is going to be, is going to mean an enforcement of the Jubilee, um, but like his own advent, <laughs> is is you know this this overthrow of the old order um and it's good news for the poor um which like jesus is good news for the poor for for everybody and it's 
it's it's interesting that that um there's still many who have not believed or accepted the good news kirk and and who uh i mean certainly jesus says that it's harder for um the rich to to part from their like they frankly the good news of jesus christ is more easily recognized to the poor than for those uh who have wealth and have like hedged all of their Secure, like they, they have put their security in material things and and see no need for spiritual things. Hmm. And yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's the end of end of my thoughts. Uh, like, there's there's a lot we could say about this, but I want to I want to hear what you have to say. Something that I've noticed this year as this reading came around is um, there's like a there's an interesting, I think, profound symmetry here um, to how this chapter begins, not the section, how the chapter begins, how this reading ends, and then something that, that is spoken of in this, in this prophecy from Isaiah in the middle. And that is um, the way chap- Luke chapter four begins, it begins like this. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Right, right after his baptism, right, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. And so, you know, on the first Sunday of Lent, of course, we'll, we'll get the temptation. We'll get this passage then. Um, but, but what I want to point out is that that, passage, that, that that phrase, full of the Holy Spirit, right? So post-baptism, full of the Holy Spirit. So we have this, this high Christology, this deeply Trinitarian moment now where we have God, multiple persons, right? The Father's will, the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, the incarnate presence of the Word, um, all here. Um, then our passage ends this Sunday, on verse uh, twenty. Uh, let's see where it is. Oh, uh, verse fourteen. Um, our passage begins. So the, 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 the chapter begins with in the power of the Holy Spirit, then our passage begins and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, right? After his temptation. And then look at the, uh, the beginning of the prophecy. Uh, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Um, I think there's uh, just some validation um, that Luke is doing here and that Jesus is doing some, some high Christology um, at the very beginning because we have kind of three climactic things we have the baptism which is as you said this manifestation this this the second epiphany right and then you have after the uh, the temptation he returns from the wilderness full of the power of the holy spirit and then um he has he begins his public ministry um not begins his public ministry but like he kind of would we say this is his synagogue debut no no. Okay. <laughs> no. This I mean, is a recorded. Yeah, okay. But but for Kirk, our purposes, Kirk, I mean, Kirk, look ooh. at verse sixteen. Yeah. I uh, know. I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, look at verse fifteen, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified yep. by all. Yep. Yep. But, so, so, but, but perhaps Luke, in his hometown. Yeah. But this is debut in Luke. Luke is highlighting Luke. So this so particular this is what one. Luke wants to let us know. Yeah. Right. Um, this passage um, opens with the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So um, we have a proclamation of the power and divinity of Jesus, um, that God's very Holy Spirit is with him. Um, So we have power, we have divinity, and we have something Trinitarian as well. 
Um, and to what end? To what purpose, right? Um, we can say this word enough that it becomes semantic satiation. Good news, right? Gospel. <laughs> good right. news. Good news. And right. we say it enough and it's just, you know, tasteless oatmeal in our ears. Um, and, oh, God, may, may you restore the sweetness of those two words to mm. us. Yes. <laughs> right? That Jesus is good news. He is liberty to those in bondage. And that's all of us on different levels and in different ways, right? He is sight to the blind, both literally and metaphorically, right? He is liberty to those oppressed. Um, and, and he is favor to those who bear his name. And that is good news. And I think a lot of what it, what is, a lot of what it means to be a disciple and to walk in discipleship is to have our hearts daily and weekly renewed that that is actually really true for us and to live in the full reality of that. So that's all yeah. I think about that. Yeah. What do you think? I think that's great, Kirk. And that reminds me uh, of, I, I was going to launch into uh, a little bit about um, the gospel and the good news, how it's good news, like no matter your worldview, um, but I think that deserves its own segment. Um, th there's a, a really good, book that uh i'm reading right now the subtitle is good news in a diverse world where we're, we're in a western uh context where um sin and guilt um it like that's the context and yet we may um be proclaiming the gospel to people who don't feel guilt from their sin right and, and that doesn't mean that that they aren't caught under cosmic guilt um they just don't feel it. And, right. and yet Jesus can be good news for them. We don't have to convince them that they are sinners before we tell them the good news. Jesus is, is good news for those who are indifferent um, to, uh, to kind of sin or guilt or shame. Uh, it's, it's good news for people who um, are in a, a kind of honor or shame culture. And then there's a fourth culture that is, I'm not remembering that. that uh, we'll talk what about you're explaining sounds like a regression to paganism, right? Like the guiltless pagan, the um, that sure. Whom well, it's, it's just like people people come from from different worldviews, Kirk. And, yeah, right. And so, like Jesus, good news for the pagan who's just like, what, what are you talking about? This sin cross, like, um, like that doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, well, that's like there's still good news. Like Jesus is good news for everybody, whether or not you're convicted of sin. So, I'm with you, Kirk. I am with you. Yeah. Do you have any uh, any other thoughts about? Uh, about this this week's gospel reading no uh none other than to let's just cap it off by saying um listener uh contemplate uh jesus and the good news like what does that mean to you um as you as you think about like jesus his his incarnation his life for you his death for you all the things that jesus is and uh was and will be um why is that good news for you that, that's a good thing to meditate on. Yeah. I think with that profound thought, let's move on to our two-hour culture segment.
today's culture segment, we are talking, I think that I'm looking forward to this conversation, Christopher. We are talking about Foundation. Uh, Foundation is an American science fiction streaming television series found on Apple TV+. Plus. It is very loosely based <laughs> on the Foundation novels, which was a series of stories by Isaac Asimov, um, the, the iconic and titanic uh, science fiction writer of the Cold War era here in the United States. Very influential in my like teenage sci-fi years. In the original Foundation novel, which was written in 1951, humanity has spread throughout the galaxy for over 10,000 years. In fact, it's been so long that humanity has been kind of very comfortably spread throughout the galaxy that it can no longer remember where it came from. There's this Gaia myth that, um, that humanity started on one planet, but some people poo-poo that theory. Um, anyway, its capital is, this, is, is a place called Trantor, which is near the center of the galaxy. Um, and Trantor is a city slash planet that is entirely paved, except for the palace gardens. Um, and most people never see the surface. Um, it has no exports except administration. Um, it, it, it gets all, everything imported from other worlds. Um, all it does, all it has to offer the rest of the galaxy is administrating, administering government. Um, it governs most of a, a seemingly peaceful and prosperous galaxy. Um, and that is, that is kind of where it begins. Um, we can talk about where it goes. Uh, the premise is actually uh, that the, uh, the empire is tottering on the edge of falling. And there's a, there's a mathematician, his name is Harry Selden, and he has begun a, a discipline called psychohistory, a fledgling discipline that takes as its premise the idea that human behavior um, in the aggregate, that is one human is wildly unpredictable. Um, even 100 humans are pretty unpredictable. Even 10,000 humans are fairly unpredictable. But as you add zeros to that, human behavior becomes fairly predictable. And then when you're talking about planets and star systems and galaxies, um, you can begin to mathematically um, trace and track uh, human behavior and human, um, yeah, just human, human behavior. And so what he realizes, he presents to the government of, of Trantor, he presents uh, this finding that like- and By government, you mean the empire. Yep, the empire. Yeah. That- uh, the empire is about to collapse within centuries. It'll be totally collapsed. And um, the empire is scandalized by this and they try to kind of shut him down. And he says to the empire, like, I knew there was a 97.6% like, odds, whatever, uh, that you would arrest me. And he actually has this, um, he's kind of foreseen mathematically how all of this is going to play out. And the way he, he has this theory, which the empire is going to collapse and by his math will fall into a 30,000 year dark age. You know, because like, if you have all these like like ten thousand worlds, civilized worlds, and and they they kind of collapse in culture and technology, it's going to take a long time for them to reintegrate and come back together um, into whatever comes next. And he his goal is to uh, reduce that thirty thousand year dark age to one thousand years. And his method of doing so is um, he builds a foundation, and on the edge, on terminus, on the edge of the galaxy he sends a group of scholars 
and their goal is to put together a, uh, a, a galactic encyclopedia that will retain all the knowledge that's ever been accumulated in the galaxy so that when the dark ages fall, um, uh, humanity will have that to fall back on as it rebuilds and that'll speed up. Um, that turns out to be a ruse. That's not actually, it's a head fake. That's not actually why he built the foundation. He built the foundation. He says, he says at the, in the final episode, he says that, um, and in the book, this, this overlaps too. Uh, he says that, that, that was like, you can, you can take, you can take the encyclopedia, you can leave it. It doesn't matter at all. Uh, the point was actually, that there would be a glowing ember on the edge of the galaxy when everything else collapsed into darkness. Knowledge, and, and in the book, it makes it clear why, like we need to have knowledge of, of, of how, how nuclear technology works. Because otherwise, you know, um, warp, like your warp drives won't work. Not all the things that make kind of intergalactic travel and commerce and all that stuff, it, it's all gonna break down. And so that's why he, he, he puts them on the edge of the empire. So it's not, it's about, um, having a remnant of, of humanity on the edge when everything else falls apart. So that's the premise. Um, I mean, some of the basic themes um, are- Kirk, uh, Kirk. Yes. So, so that's the premise of the first book. Of the first book upon which the, uh, the television series is very loosely based. Loosely based. Kirk, how many books are there in, in the Foundation series? Uh, so there's an original trilogy. Okay. Uh, Foundation, Foundation's Edge, and Second Foundation. And those are written in the 50s. And then in the early 80s, I'm currently rereading um, uh, the, uh, the fourth one. He wrote one in, in the 80s as well. What's that called? I'm like tempted to like walk away from my computer and walk over to my bedside table and look at it. <laughs> I'll, I'll effort that. Not important. But it spun up this whole, um, he, he uh, later on in his life, he, he wrote more about it. Um, yeah, there's, there's uh, kind of this, Kind of a, an extended universe that's been written around it and i can look at that in a moment but um let me just say this christopher and then we'll kind of launch into our conversation he was inspired by reading in the 1940s edward gibbons the rise and fall of the roman empire and uh he was kind of shaken not shaken he he noticed that um it took a thousand years when rome kind of I mean, Rome had been long decaying. And he, he talks about this in the book as well. And you see this, Christopher, in the TV series, certainly, right? So there's, there's still certainly technological marvels in season one of Foundation. Um, and yet it's obvious that there's rot, um, that it's unstable at the top and uh, popularly on Trantor. Uh, there's kind of a loss of faith, a cynical loss of faith. And then on the edge with, with Anacreon and Thespin, they're just, there are planets out there that are just in full-blown rebellion. And mm. want to burn the whole thing down. Um, so uh, Asimov was captivated by the idea of uh, Gibbon's rise and fall of the Roman Empire, that empires do have a trajectory, a life cycle. Um, they have growth, they have prosperity, and then they have uh, rot, decay, and collapse. And he was struck that it took a thousand years for certain technology to be recovered. Um, and for tech, I mean, I, I am a medievalist. I love the Middle Ages and has much to recommend it. Um, but there, but there was about a thousand-year pause on technological advances. For example, Rome has Rome had running waters, running water in the three hundreds, right? right? Um, London and Bath in England had baths, had indoor plumbing. London doesn't get indoor plumbing again until the eighteen eighties. 
<laughs> so like the collapse of civilization has real consequences for human flourishing and the quality of life. And Isaac Asimov was fascinated by that. And that's what, that's what kind of um, set this off. So Christopher, uh, we can go in any direction you want. I know you were fascinated by, by um, my, my dissatisfaction with, <laughs> with, with, with really the disdain with which Apple, Apple mm. TV um, held the source materials. Um, but but do you want to kind of talk about what it's about first, or do you want to just get me ranting right away? No, I actually don't want you to get you ranting right away, <laughs> okay. uh, but I do want to hear the rant. Uh, okay. be, but first, I wanted to be able to share my, before we hear about what's wrong with it, I want to share like what I liked about it, okay. not knowing anything about the source material. So I guess on a spectrum, Kirk, so you said that that you saw the seams in it, that like it looked cheap to you. To yeah. my eyes, Kirk, for a television show, it was like the best looking television show I've ever seen. It was just gorgeous to look at. Now, if, if we're looking at a spectrum, there's Dune on the far end, which is yeah. just, just stunning to look at. And then maybe this is in the middle. And then on the far end, I'm told, I, I haven't watched The Expanse, but I know people who have quit watching. Kirk, are you one of them? Yes. Who quit watching because it just looks so cheap. It all looks like it was filmed in this bedroom right here. <laughs> like when there were this... riotous mobs and crowds, it's like eight people chanting. And I'm like, really, Amazon? Or actually, it started on the Sci-Fi Channel and then Amazon bought it. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but but still, like, it's not like the later seasons. It's not like they've invested more money. And, and that, I mean, that's an issue. I've, I haven't seen um, Hawkeye, uh, but... Uh, one of the things that people Same point thing. out is that it just looks distinctly Same cheaper thing. than a Marvel movie. Like uh, they just hired 10 extras. Yeah. 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 And it's all filmed it, in like rooms. But, but I, yeah. I thought foundation looked, looked fantastic. Um, and yeah, for, for me, fair. kind of, kind of the way that it, it it's good that it looked fast, fast. It, it's, it's good that it looked amazing because there are times it was very slow <laughs> There's times it's hard to follow. You do kind of jumps in time. You, if, if you don't know the source, I guess even if you do know the source material, since it doesn't stick to it, you're like, what is even happening? Like, what am I watching? Right. Who is this person? What, what's going on? Yeah. Well, that's I'm, right. sure, I'm sure you had that as, as somebody like it. Kirk, I asked you about um, one of the interesting things about, uh, okay, let's jump into spoilers. So if you don't want yeah. things spoiled, um, just, just pause it. Watch the show. Um, it's not for everybody. Like I said, it's 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 slow at times. Nope. It's Kim, it takes my patience. wife, had a theory that it is for everybody because it hmm. introduces romances where none exist. Okay, and she said she was pointing out to me. I was like, "This is not. This is so dumb. This is not." In. She's like, "No, no, no. This is for the wives." Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. So, so here's here's this one of the spoilers is that this uh, what what's the the term? I want to say biological dynasty, but there's a better um. Oh, now that you said that, I'm not going to remember. Ah, sorry, but like it's genetic, a dynasty, genetic dynasty, a genetic dynasty. Yep. Like there are many people who oppose this, but because the emperor is. What do you mean by a genetic dynasty, Christopher? Well, not only is it <laughs> that like we have like, um, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. It is, in fact, every emperor um, is a clone of the original emperor. And not only that, there are always in the show three living emperors. There yeah. is dawn, um, day, and dusk. Um, and so there's all there's the like same person, same person, yeah. same genetic person, clones of each other. Or where dawn would be a younger version, day would be like the ruling emperor, mm -hmm. um, who's I don't know, one's like fifteen, one's thirty, and one's like 
60. Yeah. Um, and at one point, the day would relinquish uh, power to the younger one and become Don. It, it, they don't get into like how that happens or like, do, do they euthanize the oh, elder they one? Do. They do. They do okay. get into it. Like um, dusk, like begins to be feeble, right? Like as okay. he's painting, he like falls off the ladder and he realizes. That's always like, now I, now I have he, to jump off. He walks off into of... the incinerator. Oh, is that what he does? Remember okay. that? Yeah. I don't, Kirk. That's, isn't that terrible? <laughs> um, but I started this show in, I don't know, October. <laughs> so um, it took me a few months to watch. Um, but uh, so I asked you, Kirk, was any of that in the book? And you're like, no, none of it. Like there, there was, they mentioned the emperor, not that there were three of them, not that there was this, you know, it was a genetic dynasty, but uh, it didn't mention that they were clones. Maybe right? Harry Seldon does appear once in front of the emperor. Okay. Um, I can't remember if it's in front of a magistrate or actually the emperor, but, but the fact that I can't remember, I think says that it's, it's not important. Right. The, yeah. the idea is that the bureaucracy um, can tell that Selden's a threat because Selden is saying what it probably knows in its bones, which is that the beginning of the end has begun. And, and it doesn't it, want to acknowledge in the that. early episodes, Kirk, there's an act of terrorism. Yep. Is that in the book? Nope. Okay. So, so they, they use that as a plot device to introduce just the, the, um, cruel nature of the emperor where, um, it is suspected that maybe like one of these two worlds is responsible. So they like kill like everybody in these two, two different planets that, that maybe or may or may not be involved, but they're kind of, but they're, they're easy scapegoats and it's an easy way to just show the power of kind of the central authority. Um, but then we spend a lot of time um, with this character. Uh, what is her name? So Harry Seldon is is played by Jared Harris, who is an amazing actor and is just a captivating screen presence. Kirk, would you agree? Harry Seldon? Yeah. Who, yeah. What's the what's the actor? His name, name is Jared Harris, and he's okay. great yes. in everything he's in. Like, yeah. like you're just like, this guy's amazing. Um but uh, Gail Dornick is is this interesting protege of his that in in the show um, is somebody who uh, is is portrayed. I, I'm Kirk. I don't know much about Isaac Asimov. I would uncharitably uh, he's he's probably like a more I would characterize him based on the little I know as a like slightly more self aware uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like you know Neil deGrasse Tyson yeah. is just very confident in science and like if we just put scientists yep. in charge like very like a lot of hubris in like just the 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 power and wisdom of expertise and if we just handed everything over um and probably a lot of skepticism towards religion and so in um in the show at least um she uh gail is uh, was raised in this very primitive planet where they like they believe in in their primitive religion is very anti-science and she kind of discovers math and science on her own and, and escapes from this planet right. and it yeah. seeks him out. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a very Kirk, would you say um, Asimov uh, is very dismissive of, of religion or, or even um, hostile? Um, he is. Uh, Gail Dornick's backstory is, is doesn't Gail Dornick is not an important character in the book. And Gail Dornick <laughs> is a man in the book. Uh, that is fascinating. Okay, yeah. so so I mean that that is that is like inclusive casting, and, and she's a she's a great actor and a good character on this screen. But like she is is as much as as um 
uh, Harry Selden is, she is as much a central character because again, we're, we've already said spoiler alert. Um, Harry yeah. arranges for his own death but, only but to, to answer, hand this off to, to, to hand this off about, to Gail, like this yeah. project. Yeah. To answer your question though, though, about Asimov, like he, he blithely assumes, I think as many mid 20th century intellectuals did that in the future, like religion, as we understand it will be like something interesting that anthropologists may, right. may um, look at, but nothing more. And it will like, all so be replaced people, by math and psychohistory. People say things like <laughs> space knows instead of God knows and stuff in the, in the novels. It's, it's really funny. Like, but by space I, 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 or like, yeah. And Kirk, I, 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 and I, I'm on the other side where I, I just think it's funny that, that, um, you know, people like him potentially act, think that like someday we'll just get over this archaic religion stuff and just, right. you know, do psychohistory and math. And like, that will like determine everything. And yeah, that's, that's kind of silly. I think. Um, uh, so, so Kirk, uh, I found it to be, uh, an interesting, visually compelling, well-acted, um, interesting kind of storylines, uh, Kirk, before we hit record, we were talking about this uh, very interesting. So, so the, the sci-fi aspect of it. So, um, these emperors have these nanobots that like self-heal, and, and they have these force fields. And and I don't know if this is in the book or anything, but it, it it's all inserted into the show to tell a story, particular story. Uh, but there is a Philippians two. It's not Philippines, dude. There's an incarnation moment where the emperor empties himself of his nanobots um, yeah. and does this pilgrimage that, in fact, gives him some humanity, which interesting. There's, there's like Christ themes in this um, Asimov show. Uh, and, and that I found like a really interesting like that's like an episode eight way deep into the series yes. where, where, yeah. where that happens. Um, so I. I found the, the kind of the, the futuristic stuff kind of interesting, but also like the, the return to um, kind of, uh, primitivism in, in some aspects, uh, really interesting. So now tell me uh, why it stinks, why the <laughs> producers are stupid yes. for, um, for totally getting uh, parting from the, the source material. Uh, yeah. So let me just, say this about that episode, whatever that was, episode seven or episode eight, where uh, the emperor kind of goes undercover and goes on this religious pilgrimage. The point of which initially is to undermine this prophet um, who's become kind of popular in the galaxy because she says that, um, that, that the emperor has no soul because he's a clone, right? The emperors are, because it's a, it's a genetic dynasty, uh, they have no souls, and so um, uh, they're kind of an abomination, right? And it's it just really eats at day, right? The the, the ruling empire, that the, the one who's kind of at his physical peak, the ruling emperor. And so you're right; he empties himself of the nanobots, like of his like he becomes vulnerable, and he he goes on this pilgrimage, which is what do they call it? The walk? This is it the spiral or the? That sounds right. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that episode because, um, first, first of all, it's, it's remarkable. You get a sense in the show of how invulnerable and protected the emperor is mm -hmm. yeah. and just how imperious um, and, and removed from any danger and how lofty and uh, the distance between him and other humans psychologically. Mm -hmm. Like he just when he when he renders judgment and orders the uh, 
the, the destruction of, of planets or people in front of him or cities. Like it just, he doesn't blink. And he even talks about that later, like how important it is to be able to be objective and to not kind of think about the lives lost, but to render judgment so that justice is always justice. Um, and here he gives all that up and becomes vulnerable. And uh, he walks alongside um, yeah. kind of this guy who he, he can't believe he, like he gets it in the abstract, but he has trouble. He mutters to himself, right? When he realizes this guy spent his life savings on, on the jump, right? On the, the jump, meaning like he, he, he warped, he, he used the ship with warp drive, which that- Yeah, because I mean, this, this is a vast, vast empire that, yeah, yeah to, to be able to travel to this planet, yeah. So yeah. he liquidated his, his savings to, to do this pilgrimage. And if you fall, it's what, like whatever, 30 miles or 50 miles or whatever in this desert. Um, if you fall, um, you're taken off and uh, you die, right? So you either get to the end or you die trying, right? And so it's kind of moving and he has this common humanity with this other guy and he gets to, yeah, so I won't spoil the end. So that's all remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That is a redeeming episode. Um, <laughs> it, uh, Christopher, it cannot decide um, whether it's worth taking the core idea sure. of the novel seriously or sure. just using that as a launching pad for its own. Yeah, we're in this universe. Let's just tell our own universe. story. Yeah, that yeah. has its own unique ideas, right? Of this yeah. genetic dynasty with these three emperors, they're the same thing. And then you have these 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 outer worlds, and yeah, that that and vaguely the sense enough. of this this repository of learning, but yeah. also we're going to tell this other interesting story. That alone is enough to to have kind of its own built out world, like we know that from Star Wars, and yeah, so. So, so did that, does Apple TV plus just want to use the rights and the name of the name foundation um, to kind of have its own flagship sci-fi series, or does it want to actually explore the, the big interesting idea of Asimov, um, uh, which is uh, that civilization has a recognizable trajectory, a rise, um, mm. A, a, mm. Cli a climax and then a rot and a fall. Uh, and, and that with kind of thoughtfulness and preparation, uh, you can you can hedge against the dark ages a little bit. Uh, Christopher, I'm, before we press record, I mentioned a book that was really popular like in the 90s, I think it was Thomas Cahill's uh, How the Irish Saved Civilization. And it was a, it, it explored this interesting thesis that when so much learning had been lost in Europe, uh, in the early Middle Ages, so we're talking the 800s, the 900s, um, you have you have a handful of Irish monasteries, where you have Irish monks who are just copying texts that have been lost in all other kind of European cities once Rome fell. Um, the 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 example I brought up to you was Aristotle had been lost entirely to Europe until I'm what, the 11th century, 12th century. Um, now it, it's, it still existed in, in Baghdad and um, in, in, in other um, uh, Ar Arabian universities, but it had been lost to Europe, right? And, and, and that's just the most famous example, other things had been. So um, the idea that this foundation would be a hedge against that, that it would be a repository of all that. Um, does it wanna lean into that? And it never, I think, Christopher, it never makes up its mind and becomes intensely yeah. confusing. Sure. Um, and because it, Kirk, ultimately, about. like as you describe what it's about, I'm like, oh, that's interesting because like the show is entirely about something else, right? <laughs> it, 
<laughs> like it's, it's 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 taken this male character, minor character, and made it about her, Gail, and like the future yeah. is her, right? Like the way that the, the season ends. Yeah. So how can you tell? I sympathize with the writers. How can you tell the story of the fall of an empire, which necessarily happens over the course of centuries? And the rise of foundation on the edge, on Terminus, on the very edge of the galaxy, which again will happen over the course of centuries. And in the book, um, the first three books take place over 500 years. When as screenwriters, you you know <laughs> you're only going to get repeat viewers if you have compelling characters. Right, right. You can follow through the course of the season. So the way they do that, of course, is they have Harry Seldon, um, they have his... Um, what he, they have his consciousness removed to like a right. like basically a hard drive a computer, yeah yeah <laughs> um and the way they the way they kind of and so like he can appear in like right. in in like hologram form and his consciousness is there but it's not him it's 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 just his memory and his consciousness uploaded so the way you care about gail dornick is she goes into like deep like cryogenic sleep for 300 right. years and the way you care about the emperors or intrigued by them is you always see them as the same because right. it's a genetic dynasty and you have the same person cloned over the course of centuries and centuries. Right? So like they have to like do these weird things to, on the one hand, tell the story of the fall of an empire and the rise of the foundation. And the other hand, keep you caring about these characters that they want you to invest in because they paid these actors, right? So, what I hear you say is it's impossible to really make a show about the book. So should they have not done it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But let me rant finally about one yeah. character we haven't talked about yet. And that is Salvor Hardin, which is one of the great heroes of the, the book. Salvor Hardin in the book is a politician through and through a cigar chomping middle-aged man who sits behind a desk and sort of craftily and cannily and subtly guides more hot-headed politicians, businessmen, generals in the direction that he wants them to go. And he's an aphorist. So if you Google Harry Seldon quotations, Christopher, you'll see a bunch of websites that have consolidated his like interesting quotes. He's like a fun aphorist. Um, uh, now, did I say Harry Seldon? I meant Selvor Harden, right? And um, and in the in the show, <laughs> he is instead of instead of a philosophical, cigar chomping, wry smile, aphoristic quote, quoting man, he is like an angsty, twenty three year old young black girl with a um, with with a weird spacey outfit, <laughs> not some like politician in a suit. <laughs> so let me just, and, and not really, and not really a politician. She's, she's like a guardian. Right. And it, yeah. And she's like, she kicks butt. So that's, his title, what is, does she do? She kicks butt. She kicks butt. Selvar Hardin's title is the warden of Terminus, which is sort of like, yeah, like the, like the president Caretaker. or the mayor. Okay. Right? All right. Um, in the show, warden means like gun tote guardian <laughs> right let me read to you some of these quotes for that some of these chief aphorisms. of security yeah so you tell me if this sounds like the silver harden that you saw on the screen violence is the last refuge of the incompetent <laughs> it pays to be obvious especially if you have a reputation for subtlety an atom blaster is a good weapon but it can point both ways to succeed, planning alone is insufficient. One must improvise as well. 
only a lie that wasn't ashamed of itself could possibly succeed. Like some of these are deep and interesting, right? Yeah. Um, this is this one's great, Christopher. Nothing has to be true, but everything has to sound true. Christopher, this is more of a Henry Clay type of character. Sure, sure. More, more of a. Uh, uh, like a Lincoln, like a like a subtle politician, then like a like a like a blaster wielding action hero. Sure. So I just was laughing out loud. As who who interesting Kirk in in a um in a science show, uh not only is she a blaster wielding like warrior, Kirk, she's magic. <laughs> I'm yeah. guessing that's not in the book. She's prescient. Like she well, she knows the future I before think it happens. I know where that prescience is okay. coming from. All right. I think we're gonna we're gonna find out about it in season two, because the 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 the, the, the second book is called Second Foundation. I think it's the second foundation is lurking, lurking on the edge of it. Um. So that's so 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 that's Selvar Harden. So fine. Okay. So if the writers didn't like Selvar Harden, that's okay. Okay. Fine. So I accept the new Selvar Harden and the actor. Like she acted her guts out. And that's all fine. That's all great. But Christopher, can I can I tell you how the book actually ends, as opposed to Please. what to me was the preposterous ending of <laughs> the season finale? All right. So you have on the edge, you have these three planets. Uh, you have Terminus, home of the Foundation, which is to be the launching pad for what comes after the Empire and save it from a thirty thousand year dark age, right? And then you have these kind of barbaric, warlike planets beside it: Anacreon and Thespin, who have been been at war for a while. All right. So um, in the novel, um, we it, it, the novel too reaches a crisis point, right? So you have this crisis point where there appears um, Anacreon and Thespin are going to declare war on Foundation. What is Foundation to do? And, um, and uh, they're reaching a crisis point. So let me, let me tell you what happens because I went back and I looked at this, okay? So Selvar Harden, um, Harden wants to avoid, okay, the Anacreon tells, Anacreon arrives on a foundation and tells Selvar Harden, like, um, we have, we have this massive military, you don't, you guys are a bunch of like pointy headed eggheads who are like making your stupid encyclopedia and no one cares about that. And the empire is not going to come and save you. So, um, you're going to let us establish bases, um, on your, on your planet. Like basically Christopher, think uh, again, remember he was obsessed with the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Think like Lord, like lords and their manners, right? So like dukes basically establishing like fiefdoms, right? And you guys are gonna like, you know, be our be our fiefs, basically. Um, and Salvor Harden, uh, his plan, he he says no, he buys time, um, uh, and there's there's kind of like some some political hashing out, and he has. His plan is a coup d'etat designed to remove the board of trustees um, on the same day that the time vault is, is scheduled to play a recording of Harry Seldon. And that's another thing. The vault is so different, so different. The, the time vault, everyone knows that Harry Seldon will periodically, there will be a recording. Um, and so uh, I forget what the day is called in the novel, right? So the next day in the time vault, the holographic recording of Seldon appears. In, in that recording, Christopher, he says, 
and there's this, there's some overlap with the show. He says that the Encyclopedia Galactica is actually a distraction intended to make the colony's creation possible. The true purpose of the foundation is to form a nucleus for the second galactic empire and to shorten the predicted period of chaos to a mere thousand years instead of 30,000 years. After the recording ends, the encyclopedists, they have to admit to Harden that they were wrong um, and that he was right. What he says that's, uh, what, what Salvador Harden says is he, he doesn't care about the encyclopedia. That's right. He's like, this encyclopedia is dumb. We need to fight for the, um, like fight for Terminus. Like um, Anacreon and Thespin have come to like take us over and we need to fight for our sovereignty. Like, I don't care about this stupid encyclopedia. Like Terminus needs to survive. And that's my job. So, so all the eggheads around him admit they're wrong. Um, uh, and then what happens, Christopher, is um, Harden is, uh, there's, there's another crisis. Uh, so two crises are kind of jammed together. Um, you have uh, Anacreon and, Ana I'm sorry, Thespin and Anacreon are going to attack um, Terminus. And, and Harden says, you know what? I'm going to give you our military technology um, in order to, uh, you, you, can, you can have it. However, however, you have to, in, while you take our nuclear technology back to your planet, it must be accompanied by our priest who can, who can operate the nuclear magic. So the way he establishes power is by creating this priestly class who are mm. actually scientists right. who then colonize these other barbaric planets. So they share, so the, so the barbaric planets who are stronger than Terminus actually end up coming under Terminus rule by this kind of priestly nuclear power wielding um, class of scientists. So it's, uh, it, it's again, a wink, wink, nod, nod towards religion. None of that happens. That, that's an interesting idea, Christopher. And, and Harry Seldon's like, recording recorded ghost like his recording um predicts that as well that that would be how terminus would react to that crisis none of that is how it plays out instead it is the dopiest hippy dippy crap ever <laughs> selden selden's like not his ghost but like this his like recreation of his consciousness appears and says like don't you guys realize if you just got along you two you you three planets together could like face down the empire and they're like, oh man, how didn't we Well, think that's of his that? plan. He's like, yeah, the encyclopedia <laughs> thing was like never a thing. It's all for you to do this. But I don't know. Like, it, it was compelling drama for me. Like, um, to get there, they had to like um, get on board this ship. I mean, there, there there was just good storytelling there of of the way that 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 um, I forget which which of those planets like arrives on Terminus to yeah. like essentially take them to go like steal this warp right. drive from a, from a ship. Yeah. And then, yeah. But Christopher, don't it's you good. think it's more interesting? I think it's more interesting. Um, sure. The fact yeah. that there's something recurring about in a collapse, usually there's a priestly cast that retains knowledge. Yes. Retains civilization. Yeah. And, and they, they get and that's odd, what, that's what, yeah. odd um, respect from the barbarian tribe barbaric warlike De tribes to uh, which they depends go. i mean like the the repository like the cahill's you know thesis was that well it was way off in you know in ireland in right. these monasteries yeah. um where like where the barbarians like burned the libraries and and <laughs> yeah. like like there's no respect yeah. for for um yeah. for for learning yeah. and yeah that's true that's, that's why we lost aristotle yep 
And that's how you lose Aristotle. That is how you lose Aristotle. <laughs> Listeners, thank you so you. much for right uh, for making your way all the way through this. Kirk, do you have any concluding thoughts on, on Foundation? Will you watch season two? Oh, I definitely will. Okay. <laughs> well, so you're, hate, you're, you're a critic. Watch it a little. Uh, I'm not going to hate watch it. Like, Give it a grade, Kirk. Give it a grade. Um, C plus. Okay. Um, it, uh, all the stuff that happens on Tranter, I find interesting. The, the genetic dynasty that's interesting. The actors are compelling and interesting. Also a character we didn't talk about at all, who kind of moves things along the, this, the uh, this robot, this droid. Yeah. yeah. Though, by really? the way, Asimov, not, not in the book. <laughs> Asimov has characters laugh at how in the past there's this legend that humans used to create humanoid computers, like how inefficient. If you're going to have a computer, just have it be a computer. Why put it in humanoid form? And so then we have in the show, we have in Asimov's Foundation on the show, we have a humanoid computer. We have a robot. But that character in the show, I think, is super interesting. And super moves interesting. the plot along in interesting yeah. way, ways and um, makes us think interestingly about what would it be like for a sentient computer to not have a soul and kind of wished it had a soul? Yeah. Doesn't she seem soulful? And she makes yeah. some decisions that like she has guilt about. And like, in fact, at the very end, she like rage has this like really soulful moment of mm -hmm. self mutilation. Like, ah, in another no, series, knowing that she had no choice but to follow orders, but, but, um, sorrow yeah. at having to do that. Yeah. Do you know about Asimov's, um, uh, I laws robot of robotics? Yeah. Laws of robotics. Yeah. He thought long and hard about this. I remember Christopher, I probably pontificated as an 18 year old to you. Like I remember reading to our grandfather, grandfather Whitman. <laughs> I had him like, he was driving us, driving me somewhere. And I read, I thought it was super fascinating. He was probably like, I have the dorkiest grandson ever. Like this is a, this is like a, like a German farmer, grandpa father. And uh, like, I'm reading to him about like some passage about the laws of robotics. <laughs> But yeah, he thought deeply about it. So I thought that was really interesting. Everything on Tranter, I thought was fun and interesting. Everything on Terminus, I thought was aggressively stupid. So how about that? <laughs> what do you think? Shall we end with prayer, Christopher? Let's. It's enough sci-fi for this week. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.